Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Thank you guys for joining. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we are going to talk about, we're kind of making a decision right now on the fly. <laughs> but we had such a good talk last night with the guys at our group that that was super fun. Yeah. Um, it kind of got brought about by a person's question and they talked about sex and like is everything we do in sex something that we have to do in with joy um and it really led to some really good conversations yeah yeah no i I think that all of our groups are really awesome (laughs) if it wasn't for uh you know the nature of the groups of being something that's um to be a, a little bit to have a at least a a tiny amount of you know, perspective on security and, you know, being able to be confidential. I would like to record all of them and just, <laughs> just like play them because the, the conversations we get into are, are incredible. They get me thinking and they help me clarify a lot of our ideas. I think that the groups are truly amazing. But yeah, so the, the main thing we were talking about is we were going through the perspective of that when we have sex or everything that we do, the First Corinthians 1031 passage, whether we eat or drink, that all be done to the glory of God. And the idea of how do you have sex to the glory of God? Well, you're to be acting in a way that reflects the character of God, and God's character is love. So we started getting into the topic of acting in a way of sacrificial um, sacrificial joy, that when I'm in the bed with my spouse, that my perspective should be, I want to better her, I want to please her, and I want to... Uh, invest inside of a relationship as a whole and then as we were talking about that and I'm sure we could talk about that topic as well in this podcast but as we were talking about that the question came up of well if what we're doing in the bedroom is to be in service of our spouse is it wrong for me to enjoy it so in other words should service be devoid of personal pleasure because if it has personal pleasure have I not made it a selfish act as opposed to a selfless and loving act, which is a really cool question. Yeah, and I thought there was another question um, kind of that maybe spewed out of that one. Yeah. And that was another gentleman said, like, well, what if I'm not into that? Right. And so is it is it still God glorifying if you engage in sex when you don't really feel up to it? Right. And... And how does that work? Right. You know, to the glory of God. That's right. Because we we started to answer the first question with a perspective of joy. And we went through the Hebrews 12 passage. For the joy set out before Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So obviously there was a pleasure in Jesus' sacrifice. Also, me and you talk a lot about 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about doing servile acts, like speaking with the tongues of men and of angels, giving all your goods to the poor, and even your body to be burned. And he claims that have not love, it profits me nothing. But the insinuation there is that if I have love, there is profit. There is profit in doing these things. There is a benefit. Yeah, so what's the gain? So the, there's, a, there's an incredible gain and a, a pleasure there. But the question that the guy asked then, which makes a lot of sense flowing out of it, is, okay, so if my service to my wife should be pleasurable, ought to be pleasurable, because that's a reflection of God, 
God is the blessed God. He's the happy God. Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness more than his fellow companions. If it's to be a reflection of that joy, what if I'm not feeling it that night? How, should I just not do it? Like if my heart's not in it, if my heart's not in serving my spouse, both in and out of the bed, should I refrain from serving because I don't want to be hypocritical? And the answer that we got to has a lot to do with our statement uh, in Running Light that we're to do all things in sensuality with faith, hope, and love. And we talked about the nature of hope. Yeah, and, and so we brought up a passage of scripture found in the book of Romans chapter 15. And it was kind of, it wasn't planned, and that's what I love about these times with the guys is it's and you know it's not like we've been planning these things forever, and we're like, man, we really know exactly where we're gonna go and everything. Yeah, they're definitely not lectures; they're more discussions, which is what makes them so cool. Yeah, but in Romans chapter fifteen, there's this really famous statement that talks about the God of hope, and it says. And now, uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hmm. And we, we pointed to this idea of the intimate language there first. And that is reminding the guys that God is a God of intimacy. And just as we reflect that, the God of hope fill you. But notice that it's a, there's hope. And this hope is producing joy and peace so even when we're not feeling up to it so to speak in the bed um we can have a something can produce joy in us and peace in us but it has to do with this hope may the god of hope so the question came of up of like well what does sex look like with hope and then the reciprocal right so uh, an easy way to understand this would be um, in, in some of the, these philosophical dialogues back in the day, uh, and telling Bo I've been going through them, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. They bring about like what is the greatest good. That was like uh, a huge topic in the Platonic dialogues, the dialogues between Socrates and some of his colleagues. And they brought up like a couple perspectives. There's a good that is a good unto itself, meaning that just the simple act of doing it is the good. And you'd give a reason like eating ice cream, right? It's a good unto itself. You don't eat ice cream in spite of the fact that you're not in the mood. Because if like I'm not in the mood for ice cream, the only benefit to eating ice cream is the joy of eating ice cream. So I wouldn't do it. In fact, you can make the argument that eating ice cream could be bad for you. So if you're not in the mood, that's all the more reason not to do it. But then there's a good that is a means to an end. So I'm doing something that in and of itself may not be pleasurable, but it leads to a good end. An example that would be exercise, right? And the greatest good is both. It's something that in and of itself is good, but it also leads to something good. And I could also use the example of exercise because exercise could be very pleasurable. So maybe in the second category, I would say like taking medicine. It's something that you don't want to do, but it leads to something good, so you do it anyway. But exercise is something that is pleasurable in and of itself when you get the endorphins going, but it also leads to something good, which is physical fitness. The idea of hope means that you can do something that maybe doesn't feel good in the moment, 
but it could lead to something so beneficial you could have joy in doing it, right? So in sex, obviously the ideal would be you're enjoying sex for the time that you're spending with your spouse in and of itself, meaning just the time with your spouse and the intimacy that you're sharing and the pleasure you're experiencing, all these things is good, but it's also building something. That's the ideal. But even if that's not true, meaning even if, as he put it, I'm not in the mood, but my spouse is, I can still engage with them in the hope, in the hope that it is producing something beneficial or glorious. And that leads to a biblical point that sex is not merely an end, but it's actually primarily a means to an end. And that's a different perspective than a lot of people have in the world. Yeah, and someone then brought up a question about, well, hey, well, if, it, if, if, there, if hope in sex is about looking forward to this future thing, you know, this future life with your spouse, well, are we really going to be married in heaven? Mm. You know, or, you know, how does that work? You know, and the, the scripture that came up to my mind was First Peter chapter 3 that talked about that, that we, you know, honor, give honor to your wife. Um, and it talks about us being heirs together of um, the, this, um, what's the word? Um, we're heirs together of the grace of God. Right. And, and that there is something to be said about the afterlife and the things that we build here right and 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 the reward right uh, of those things it is interesting because in that passage the first peter 3 verse 7 the context is in treating your spouse well and treating them good and the reason i think it's very fascinating that the reason that peter gives for treating your spouse well is the hope that you are fellow heirs together with christ I think it's really, really interesting because Peter does not mention an immediate pleasure. He doesn't say treat husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding because then your marriage will be awesome. Right. right. He could have said that. And that's true. But he instead focuses this eternal perspective. So in other words, we don't fully understand it. But the Bible alludes to this all over the place that the way that we treat ourselves and others seems to have eternal implications beyond mere salvation. Uh, meaning that it's not just the fact that doing good things leads to salvation because we know as a church that's not true. It's our faith alone and what Christ has done that leads to salvation. But the obvious argument that some people could have is, well, if I'm saved by grace alone, why should I worry about my actions? And the biblical authors all the time insinuate the idea that the good actions that I perform in my body, while they don't bring about eternal salvation in heaven, they do seem to have eternal implications for my time in heaven. Yeah, in whatever economy that is in the future, um, they play a part. Right. That <laughs> there's something happening, and uh, uh, so so when Peter says that, he he again he's insinuating that while I'm not going to be in the same type of relationship with my wife that we have right now on this earth, that we're married, we have the ability to procreate, things like that, raising children. We're not going to be able to do that in heaven. However, 
I still believe, and there's a lot of evidence in the Bible to support this, that, and you brought it up last night, it's not that we get to heaven and all of our earthly experiences go away. They seem to be present. And the prime example is Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't like, who are you guys? You know, like, you know, I'm just, I'm raised from what the dead. What am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing here? I just love everybody equally now. He seemed to still have that really intimate relationship with the people that he knew on this earth. And it was still special, right? When he came up to Mary, the specialness that he had built in their relationship on this earth was still relevant in his resurrected body. And the same would hold true for us, that the special quality of relationships that I'm building with people on this earth, especially my spouse, will still be very relevant in our resurrected state. Yeah, and even even passages that talk about a reward, I think of one of them found in the book of um, Timothy, one of the Timothy books, that talk, I think it's 2 Timothy, but it talks about there's works that are going to be burned up, you know, meaning they're not, they're done out of our flesh or, you know, selfish ambition or whatever that really just can't last into eternity. You know, the way the economy there, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, doesn't buy anything, so to speak, (laughs) but there's a work that produces, you know, gold, uh, silver, you know, uh, you know, precious metals. Um, and the idea is that that's something that's lasting. Right. Um, and so we get an idea all throughout the scripture that there is something that happens through us. And it's this grace, obviously, work of God in us as we um, surrender our lives to Christ and he's living out his life through us. And there's works being produced that can carry over into the afterlife. And I love what Peter says about a husband and wife being he, he says that they are heirs together of the grace of life and it's kind of a neat way to put it you might have thought peter would have said they are heirs together of the life of grace right but he doesn't he says instead it's the gift of life right you know which is really cool grace being a gift Mm. you know that there's a future grace Mm. there's and that's and so when i think of you know that question of like well what is hope look like in sex Hmm. well we know for sure it's it's something that is building for your free future right and that is that something that you think of when you think about sex right do you ever think about hey i'm building for my future here yeah a lot of us don't think that way you know when we're putting money away into a little money away, you know, you think like, man, is there really, is this ever going to be used at all, you know, (laughs) or am I just throwing my money out, you know, and some people live their financial life like there is no tomorrow, right, and they just burn everything, yeah, and, and is that how we think of sex, and I would say predominantly the answer's got to be yeah, yeah, because even in our um, poll that we might take in our groups, most people, if not all of them, have never really thought of hope, the right. word hope, and the word sex together. Right. And that, that's a very scary implication. Uh, so it's like a, there could be a really positive implication there, but there also be a really negative implication. Because actions that are investments, it means that they have future consequences, both good and bad. So like when you use the example of money, 
if I don't look at my money and the way that I utilize it as having future consequences, it's not a neutral proposition. So if I use my money in a very foolish way, I'm going to have very negative consequences in the future. But if I use my money in a very prudent way, it has very positive implications for the future. If I look at sex as being something that it's like, it's just a good in and of itself. It's just an end, right? That's the kind of pleasure it is. Then I'm not going to think about the investment that I'm making. So if you see it that way in a positive sense, then and you use your sexuality with your spouse in a very wise and prudent way, in a loving way, what we're saying is that the things that you do in the marital bed actually can improve your relationship as a whole. It could actually have positive repercussions for your relationship in the future. But if you treat your sexuality and your your marital bed very, I guess, uh, dispassionately, like it's not a big deal, uh, which a lot of the guys were like, yeah, I just kind of looked at it as something for me, you know, and is it, yeah. that can have very negative consequences in the future for your marriage. And a lot of people don't know that. So they approach the marriage bed with this very kind of like, eh, it doesn't really matter attitude, both the wife and the husband. It's like, it's not a very big thing. But then over the years, that the actions done in the bed might be a huge factor in why your marriage as a whole has deteriorated at such a fast rate. Yeah, I think of the, the older couple that really doesn't like each other. They've been married for a long time. And you never really know why they just don't like each other. Mm. And I wonder sometimes if it's their sex life. Yeah. If it's things that developed in their marriage bed. Right. And, and that they never discussed it. They never talked about it. But they saw a lot of selfishness or, you know, abuse in that area. And over time, it just led to extreme bitterness. Right. You know. And... <clears throat> Or obviously, you know, there's people that divorce on a massive scale um, in our time and society. And and probably for good reason, because there's a lot of abuse in that area as well. Yeah. And so, um, you know, to think about a future investment, to think about, you know, sex is building on one and on each other. They're building. And it doesn't mean that you don't have fun. That's not what it right. means. Hope is something that should produce actually fun in you. Right. To know that you're gaining something greater. Right. And that's where the Hebrews 12 passage comes back, that when Jesus was investing in us, right, by not only the incarnation coming down to earth and living with us, but also the crucifixion and the resurrection, right, there was an incredible amount of joy in Christ, although there was also an incredible amount of cost in what he did. So it's almost like, you know, right now me and my wife, well, we've been kind of renovating our house for a while now, and, you know, like she's ready for it to be done. But when you're renovating something you own, like we're renovating their house, it's like exciting. Like it's not exciting to put in the amount of effort we have. Like I've done a lot of the work myself or with friends and uh, there's also the financial aspect to it. That's not fun, but it's an investment. We're like, well, we're going to enjoy these things in the future. And it's also building equity within the home itself. So it's becoming more valuable. So there's an incredible joy there. And with sex, that's the way it could look. The investments you're making into your spouse, both in and outside the bed, 
their investments that are going to improve the relationship as a whole, which is something you're going to live in, presumably for the rest of your life, so that it behooves you to take care of it. But also, it's something that has future implications that we don't yet understand. Yeah. And if, if you're not, you know, for, you know, obviously we're, we're Christians and this is a Christian podcast. And so we're, we're thinking that most people that are going to listen to this are strict monogamous people. And um, it wouldn't make sense, obviously, to have hope in your sex life if this wasn't the case. Right. Um, but this is how theology affects our sex life. Right. It, it makes us think. It gives us thoughts. Like, you know, so the idea of, of dwelling on our future hope or future grace, mm. you, know, um, you know, this grace of life uh, that Peter talks about, is is something that um, is to be in our life in all aspects of our life. Mm. You know, why do I want to work on my lust? Why do I want to work on things? Because there's future grace. There's right. a, there, I'm hoping in future grace. Right. Um, and so I want to deal with that stuff. Um, and, you know, even for people who don't understand this, meaning that they, they are treating their sexuality without this perspective of building or uh, investing, we do see that even them, they're not immune to the consequences or the truth of this reality. So I, I think the example of me and you like a lot, which is sad, but would be the porn star Ron Jeremy, who in, I think it was his biography, he yeah, talks his book. about, yeah, his yeah. book, he talks about how he wants to be in a monogamous relationship, but he realizes he can't. So notice that. It's not like he's saying, I love this lifestyle so much, why would I want to settle down with a girl? The idea is, I know that I would want to, but I've been sowing to this lustful kind of like, I want a little of this and a little of that, and I want mine. I've been sowing to that for so long, that attitude for so long, that I can't turn it off. I can't just flip a switch and be like, I'm going to be content with just one person for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be able to invest in them in a way that is beneficial for them and myself. He realizes he can't do that because he's invested in the selfishness for so long, he finds in himself a lack of capacity to do it. Um, and same with you know, a lot of the guys in the group that we talk to. It's like they've invested in this selfish kind of perspective on their, uh, their intimacy with their wives, that now undoing all that is quite a long haul. You know, it's not a simple perspective at all. Yeah, and 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 you and you have to, you, you know, to me, like what has to happen is conversations and dialogues and talks and you know the way you think about theology really does matter. Hmm. Um, and you know, if you're serious about it, then you're going to look at these ideas within the scriptures and you're going to you know want to implement those right. now what i want to make sure that people understand is that it's not that people that have viewed pornography or do view pornography aren't able to think this way right you know we are empirically uh, you know, empirical evidence right. that you can think this, you can think theologically, yet still fall into pornography right. and the lust of pornography. Um, so it's not that it's like a surefire way for you never to ever 
go into um, tantalizing pleasures right. of those kind of ideas. But there is a guard that is in your heart when you uh, dwell on this kind of theology. Right. That there is a future. Yeah. Uh, that our life does matter. Right. That hope matters in every avenues of every avenue of my life, including my sex life. There is a guard that takes place. Right. Um, it's kind of like to use the example of physical <laughs> fitness again. Somebody prizes their physical fitness and understands like the stuff I eat today has an, a marked impact on the way that my body feels tomorrow. And if I exercise today, that's going to impact my future. And if I don't exercise today, it's also going to impact my future. Someone who has that mindset, it's not like they're always going to be super strict and awesome when it comes to their physical fitness. They're going to have binge days. They're going to have days where they're just too lazy to get their butt to the gym. Right. But that overall perspective produces this guard that Bo's talking about, that like overall they realize that there are implications to the way they treat their body. Very different from the person that doesn't get that. You know, think about a child. Children are too, they're not developed enough to understand long-term consequences and side effects. So you have to literally force them to eat right and to do uh, right by their body. You have, as a parent, are responsible to do that, hopefully, and they get to the age where they're gonna make those right decisions. Same with sexuality. There are people that just don't have this perspective. So it's not like they're every now and then messing up. It's that they don't have this perspective at all. So they're acting by sheer impulse. And what I would say is that I have some friends who don't know God. And some of them, even though they're acting out of sheer impulse, some of them actually just instinctively understand what me and Bo have, saying, have been saying. They would never articulate it like this, right? I would not talk to them and be like, oh, yeah, like I totally think about that when I'm having sex with my wife. They're just instinctively on that path and that journey where they're naturally just more loving people. They're naturally more monogamous. They haven't had to have like a moral imperative in order to do this. They just enjoy love and and, uh, companionship with their spouse. And so because of that, they do this naturally. And I have friends that certainly do not act like this and live like this. And the fruit, as I said, uh, is in both of their lives and in the way that their relationships function. Yeah. So think about hope in sexuality. It might be something that can challenge you a little bit is, hey, is when I think of my sex life, how does the idea of hope, future benefit, hmm. uh, future reward, future grace, um, how does that look in your life and it really came back to answering our question of that you know if hope produces peace and joy then even when you're having sex and you don't feel like it because you have that theology in you and it's on your mind right you know that this is building on something this is building on something and it's building to something right towards something then there is an inner part of you that is very joyful right? in that because that hope that you're building towards is there. And hope, if it's really hope, it is going to be producing something in us. And the, the really cool thing is that that hope, although in one sense it is a little bit um, ethereal, meaning it's not solid or physical or something you can really grab a hold yeah, of. Yeah, it's not very quantifiable. Yeah, it's not very quantifiable. 
the beautiful thing about marriage and love specifically, and especially in the sexual act, is that there is an immediate way to see that hope being produced, and that is in the joy of your spouse. So the really cool thing is like if both of you aren't into it, you're not going to get much out of it by just having sex because you're like, well, 1 Corinthians 7 says <laughs> neither of you are in the mood or you're just like, well, let's just do it because we're supposed to. Because we're building towards we're building future towards. grace. <laughs> Obviously, if you're having intimacy, the, the scenario here is that you're not in the mood, but your spouse is. And you can actually see immediate results there in the joy of your beloved. Right. That like because you are benefiting them and because you can see that, hey, I'm not really into it right now, but man, like my spouse, I love them and they are enjoying this time so much that it could actually produce in you an immediate joy. Mm -hmm. And I think like a really good example of this is, you know, uh, I have young nephews and nieces and every now and then I'll go to like a dance recital or something of theirs. And it's like, they're not good, you know, like, let's be real. They're not good. But the parent has this amazing joy, not in the fact that they're like, wow, like what I'm seeing is so incredible. Like, you know, the, the joy that they have is actually in the kid. The kid is having so much fun that it actually makes the parent have a good time. Yeah, it's a joy in their joy. That's right. And that's like a really cool and beautiful way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we see in Jesus in John chapter 12. Jesus talks about his hour has come and he talks and being the cross and he says that the son of man should be glorified. Hmm. And and obviously it's really interesting because when you think of glory, you think of positive things. Yeah. And yet Jesus is talking about the cross, right. a very painful, <laughs> humiliating thing. Yeah. So it, you, are, you already see by Jesus' statement this really interesting, um, uh, what is it called? A uh, kind of, uh, it looks like, sounds like opposites. Right. You know? Like an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, paradox. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, he talks about himself dying and then he says, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? So he makes it very clear that he's yeah. troubled. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, Father, save me from this hour. Hmm. So there's a cry for help. And then he says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Right. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Hmm. And again, he uses that term glorify, meaning even within this moment, there are these joyful rays of light that flow through christ right um and he sees the future grace right. of it all and he knows it as a surety hmm. um and it, like it's a sure thing up ahead and the more we realize that in our own life that there is something we're building towards and it's a sure thing yeah then we can go through whatever we need to go through um you know, but I, I see that example of Jesus where, you know, you, you, you know, you, you go through your sex life and you say, OK, I, you know, I'm not in the mood, but your joy becomes the joy of your spouse. And, you know, you want to see her glorified. Right. You want to see her radiant and uplifted and, you know, invested in. Mm -hmm. And that becomes your everything is just to see her blessed. 
Right. And, you know, knowing that you are building towards something even greater. Right. You know, and even in our life, you know, at, at an old age, uh, which we all are going to get there at some point, you know, don't you want to be with someone that loves you? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that go you, you guys both look at each other and you go, man, um, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, our life was amazing yeah. and our intimate life was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and, I mean, that would be awesome. And everybody can start today doing that. Doesn't, you know, we all have to uh, put aside what happened yesterday because it's done. Right. And we have to just start today. Um, I have a wonderful little plaque that my dad gave me, and it's by um, Waltz. I forget who the author was. Um, but uh, it says, like, you know, you did what you could today. You did it with some blunders, <laughs> you know, but you know what, you push it aside and, you know, you have another day. Yeah. And it's like one of the main plaques in my office. And it just reminds me every day of, you know, something my dad always shared. And that, that was just like, hey, you know, wh- whatever happens yesterday or the day before or yesterday, whatever, it happened, yeah. you know, and now it's time to move forward, you yeah. know, and that's all you can do. And, uh, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, one of the one of the things we also brought up yesterday, which I thought was really interesting was the idea of, again, your intimacy, the things that you do in the bed with your spouse, is producing something. And some of the negative things that could be produced within the bed um, are hurt, resentment, and obligation. So if if my spouse feels constantly like I'm just using her within the bed to get what I want, that could lead to a lot of hurt, and it could lead to a lot of resentment that can build over the course of our marriage and start to pop up in other areas. But another thing that can happen, which is interesting, is it could produce almost like a, we we call it like a transactional effect, where it's like, yeah, if I don't have this perspective of future hope and I'm investing in my wife and this is my joy, it's my decision, then essentially I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it with an expectation of a returned favor. So it's like, yeah, I'm going into bed with you right now and this is what you want, but later on, I expect something in return. Like I expect you to provide something. And this happens insidiously, meaning it happens without you thinking about it. It's just, and it's really easy to see in other aspects of the marriage where it's like, I'll start doing something that's designed to be pleasing to my wife. I'll do the dishes, I'll clean the house, I'll take care of the kids. But in my mind, what happens is I start racking up points. And I'm like, yeah, now she owes me this or she owes me that. Now, because I took care of this, I expect her to take care of that. And that kind of transactional model is not a perspective of future hope. It's not, it's my choice, it's my joy because I love you. It's, I'm doing this, but I need something in return to make it worth it. You yes. know, worth my time. So the relationship becomes like a work-based relationship. Right. You know, a, um, you know, a, definitely a transaction relationship. Right. Um, and which the guys, I think, looked at that and they were like, man, that, I, I see that in our, my own life. Yeah. And so I think it's something that's pretty common with people. Some people can live like that, and we talked about that, that some people can live a transaction type of work-based marriage where they say, hey, you know what? You go do your thing. I do my thing. I give you what you want. I get what I want. Mm -hmm. 
And and sometimes when you think of like Hollywood stars, yeah. you know, sometimes we, we imagine their relationships like that because they <laughs> seem like they're so distant. Right. You know, sometimes we think of it like, oh, they're just one of them's living on an island and one of them's <laughs> off skiing the Alps. Yeah. You know, and, and they have probably affairs and you think that, you know, they're probably, you know, with other people. But they kind of have this like, you know, set up thing. But it's OK. Yeah. And it's OK. Because <laughs> it's like in the contract. It's know? in the contract. That's right. And, and there's a lot of countries where you can go and their marriage is based off of uh, parents assigning a partner to right. their daughter or their son or, uh, you know, something like that. And, and so and it's a transaction. It's something that takes place. These people have to learn um, uh, and kind of figure out themselves how their marriage is going to work out. But they kind of have this idea of like, this is how it works. Where grace, it, the freedom in grace is pretty radical because hmm. it's saying, hey, we're not under contract. Right. You know, that uh, the things, the commitment I'm making to you is not due to you making commitment so much to me. Right. I'm just making the commitment to you. <laughs> and and it's, that's, that's like a grace-based perspective. It's a very New Testament perspective of Jesus dying for us and and it's his covenant with us. It's written in his blood and in his body being uh, crushed for us. And so we realize that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 hmm. says that. Um, and that he cannot deny himself. He's with us. He's in us. We're a part of him now. Hmm. And, and so our wife, our, our covenant when we get married is that our, we are now one. We are now part of one another's life. So now there's a, a commitment that's based off of just my grace-based relationship with you. Right. And that, that's kind of an interesting way to look at your marriage um, that maybe a lot of people don't look at it because they feel like things have to be really set in paper yeah. that they're obligatory. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And what we see from the Old Testament, it's so cool right now mm -hmm. uh, in the main service we're going through Hebrews. And that's like one of his main arguments of why the new covenant is superior to the old covenant is because the old covenant had expectations like that, where there was the blessings of the covenant and the cursings of the covenant. God's like, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm going to provide this for you. If you don't do this, I'm not going to provide that for you. And one of the arguments that the writer of Hebrews is making is like, that worked, right? I'm not knocking the old covenant, but this is better. This is better because it produces liberty and freedom and much, much more joy because it's definitely out of free will and not because I feel like I have to or being coursed in any way. Yeah. So that, that's a lot of good stuff said um, for sure. There's a couple of things, articles, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit, take a break from all that, <laughs> let people process, right? They're like, whoa, that was a lot. <laughs> One of the things that... Uh, 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 we got from the psychologist, Dr. David Lay, um, who's not a Christian, but he always sends really cool research papers. One of them was linking evangelical sub subculture and phallically insecure masculinity using Google searches <laughs> for male enhancement. And we're going to have to do a podcast on this after we read this. But um, it's going to be really interesting how this works, you know, how this plays out. So, and... I just find it fascinating that there's articles being written, first of all, on this, you know. And this guy's got, like, he's got the, the, the 
analytics, right? <laughs> like, you know, just before us here, um, and uh, going through this. But maybe it's maybe the conclusion is going to be that, you know, people that are conservative really enjoy, you know, you know, getting frisky. Yeah. Or, <laughs> <laughs> but his point is obviously there's an insecurity issue, right? And sometimes, you know, when you have um, such a dominant conservative view of sexuality. And it can get very scary. Mm. You know, sex can get scary. Sometimes it maybe does produce an insecurity. So that's going to be something we'll have to look at. That's in the Journal for Scientific Study of, of Religion. Yeah. That'll be interesting. And then one of the ones that I'm more interested in, just because of my studies with uh, Ray Rist in the um, 1972 commission that was put together on pornography that I cite quite a bit in some of my um, presentations that I've done. Um, I love this one because it's more of future um, uh, our research after the 70s. And it's banning, uh, is, is banning pornography because of science or in spite of it. Mm-hmm. Scientific authority, religious conservatism, and support for outline, outlawing pornography from 1984 to 2018. So this is a 30-page <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you want to call it article. It seems like a 30-page um, paper, yeah. let's say. A dissertation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, on this from uh, Samuel L. Perry out of the University of Oklahoma. So that will be interesting, too, because a lot of times, uh, you know, we don't really want to look at the science. And me and you have always talked about that there's got to be a better reason right. to you know, be anti-porn right? <laughs> than just saying that it's going to kill your brain. Right. Or it's, you know, it's it's this or it's this, you know, this is health thing concern now. Or, yeah. you know, it's going to, it used to be in the 50s that it's, you're, it's moral, it's immoral, and you're going to twist your morality. And, and then when that didn't fly in the public, it has switched nowadays to health issues. Right. Um, so it's, um, uh, anyway, so it's going to be interesting, I think, to read that one for me. I, I think I'll be pretty into it, you know, but, you know, um, yeah. Any comments on those wonderful titles? No. Sounds like fun. Sounds like <laughs> it'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Be good topics to go over. Yeah. And I don't know if we want to just read it, read some of it and just let the people kind of hear what some of it's the highlight a few parts of it or something like that. I mean, obviously going through a 30-page paper, (laughs) you know, it's quite a bit. But anyway, we can always sum it up. So anyway, good podcast, dude. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, thanks for listening. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.